Welcome, everyone. I'm Sergeant Chelsea Baker. I'm Sergeant Tim Andrews. And today we have some familiar faces as well as new faces. Um, we have Lisa Mustard, and she's with the South Carolina National Guard Behavioral Health Department, as well as um, Eric Beasley, and he is a marriage counselor and was also a former, former soldier in the South Carolina National Guard. So thank you guys for both being here today. Um, and I know that you have specific, a specific topic you want to talk about. So, Eric, if you want to kind of just go into it and tell us what you want to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things I think that affects soldiers and their families the most is reintegration. And I think that when we look at a soldier's entire career and how that affects everything, the reintegration are those important transitions that we go through. And if we do it well, things go well. And if we do it poorly, things go very, very poorly. And I feel like that that has that huge effect. Um, you know, reintegration, um, it can be hell mm -hmm. for, for soldiers and their families. It kind of reminds me uh, when you go, uh, you're back and you have the ceremony and then you go home and you do all those things. Uh, for me, it was almost like uh, going on Wheel of Fortune. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm so excited, I would be so excited to do something like that. Uh, but I'd also be terrified that I'd say or do the wrong thing and that that would ruin everything. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot of pressure on the soldier and the families to really get it right when it comes to this topic. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like we were talking about before, uh, Sergeant Andrews and myself have both deployed. For me, it's been almost six years ago. So how things were back then to now, and it's you still get those feelings every once in a while, though, even if it doesn't like it doesn't relate to an actual deployment it could be I've gone to several schools and leaving and coming back and trying to get back in your life it's the same thing it's not just about deployments and I think people might get those com not confused but they might not realize that it still plays a big part in your career especially if you're in the military yeah and it's so easy to get it off track if you don't mm -hmm. know if you're not deliberate in what you're doing through all of that and so one of the things in doing the research and looking at how can we help service members and their families with this was a recent study that came out last year at the University of Illinois uh, that talked about five myths that soldiers and their families have about reintegration that really can, if they're believed by them, can really throw everything off track. And so what I wanted to do today was just spend a few minutes talking about those. Yeah. Okay. So the, the first myth uh, of these is that uh, when we go through that reintegration process, that the person ha that has the most difficulty with that is the service member. And that's actually not true. The person that has the most difficulty uh, that this study found was actually the spouse, uh, the one that was staying home. And throughout this study, they, they interviewed over 500 um, service members and their families uh, to find out this information. The truth about it is spouses report much more difficulty than the service members in that reintegration and readjustment process. And, and with this myth, what's most important is we have to establish a plan early, as early as possible, to fully support the spouse. Right? When, when uh, often we have that step-by-step -step plan for the service member when they come back, it's on the training schedule, we know what that is, uh, through the family support group and other resources that the military has. Um, we have a framework in place, uh, but often I find that there's not a plan for the individual spouse mm -hmm. when their husband comes back or their, or their wife comes back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's so important. That's really interesting. I like how uh, 
the suggestion is to have a support plan for the spouse. And that's something that over the years from the work that I, that I've been doing within the guard, usually I get it. Like I see the spouse have the most stress and the most pressure and the most, the feelings of he's coming home or she's coming home and the kids and the, so there is a lot. So it would be great as we think towards our service members coming home about, you know, what can we do preventatively for those spouses and how can we help them create a plan? And, you know, I always like to give a plug for the behavioral health specialists here yeah. at the guard that that's something that, you know, we are here to do. So I really like that, um, that idea. And it's something to consider, you know, moving forward because yeah, we're still deploying. They're still, still coming and going. Yeah. That's great. Absolutely. Uh, so if it's okay, I'd like to pose a question to uh, Sergeant Andrews and Sergeant Baker real quick here. Sure, right. go for yeah. it. <laughs> you have experience in deployments, right? You've been mm -hmm. deployed yourself. Mm -hmm. And so when you, when you came back um, and you're actually back in the States, after the homecoming, after the ceremony, right? You had our pictures taken. We put it in the paper. Uh, and you get back on to day-to-day -day life, right? Uh, what was the hardest part of that? When did you find yourself struggling the most? Mm, that's a tough one. Yeah. <laughs> um, when I came home, I don't know, because we have to go through DMOB. So when we flew into Texas, like, it felt like we were never gone in a sense. It was like we transitioned from doing something every day, like following a routine, to all of a sudden coming back to the States. And uh, I guess I think it hit home for us more because we came home with an active duty unit, and for them, they just go home. So we're getting off the plane. Their family's there with signs, and we were all bummed out because we weren't going straight home. We had to sit and go through all this process for a week or two and then go home. And so it kind of made us feel that, one, we were never gone, and two, like we were missing out on that. And then coming home, I don't think it really hit me until a couple months later. I was feel I had all these feelings, and I didn't know how to explain it. And then I realized, like, I I was just thrown in, and I didn't really have that period of integrating back into life. It was kind of, it was just weird. I don't even know how to explain it. And so it didn't hit me until a couple months, and I was just thinking about, like, why do I feel this way? And the people that I deployed with had the same feelings. So, I mean, I wasn't alone, but you don't know how to express that to somebody who doesn't understand where you're coming from. You're in that weird place where... Everything does, is the same, but everything's different. Mm -hmm, exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, when we came back from DMOB, you're just, whenever you get done with uh, medical processing and all that stuff, and you're good to go, and you're just sitting in a room, you're like, oh, God, I got to do something. Like, when you're when every day you're always trying to have something to do, you're always having a purpose for something, and then you come back to DMOB, and you're like, you're doing nothing, which is a time to chill out and relax. And then coming back home, it I guess reality set in probably within the first two weeks. That's kind of like you can't have that military mindset. And having a military mindset and having that like high tension of just constantly having to do something or whatever the case is, uh, it's not going to work out with your family. Where it's kind of like they just want to relax. They just want to have. They just want to hang out and stuff like that. I'm like, no, I got to do something or else I'm. <laughs> I, I got to go work out or go go find something to do. Be pre. Um, pretty productive and uh you know it it, it was kind of rough just trying to I guess integrate back with my family and because I, I I live with my family and uh, uh my my parents and and my brother and so it's it's a weird 
relationship when you're coming back from hanging out with a bunch of guys and you come back to your parents, they're like, whoa, you need to chill out. <laughs> but um, It gets a little intense mm-hmm. Yeah, for them. And it is difficult because now we don't have that mission. So for the period of the deployment, we're on mission. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then we come back and you're like, you're off mission. Go have fun. Relax. Mm-hmm. And we don't know how to do that. Uh, it's interesting when you come back that the, uh, the next myth really is about when you first come back, a lot of people think that initial uh, integration after homecoming, the first few weeks that we have there, uh, are, actually the ha- are actually the hardest. And then after a week or two, we're kind of in the rhythm and everything's okay. <laughs> but that is not true, right? And I think, uh, Sergeant Baker, you mentioned that as well as Sergeant Andrews about how, uh, you know, it didn't, it took a few weeks for everything kind of to sink in mm-hmm. with all of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the truth of it is that, you know, uh, the key window for, for having difficulty is actually between weeks four and five. We've been back about a month, a little more than a month. Uh, we've been back from the DMOB site. We've gone through the, you know, we've gone through some yellow ribbon things, mm-hmm. right? And then the reality starts to set in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're also at that point uh, kind of disconnected from the people that we mobilized with, right? And so the support group that we had there that have those shared experiences aren't there anymore. Uh, we all have our own lives now, right? We can't, we, we don't connect as well as we did during the deployment with all of that. And so... The, when it comes to uh, that time period, uh, really anticipating that in a month or so, I really need to stop, evaluate what's happening, right? What's going on? How am I feeling? How successful am I in this reintegration process? Uh, and then looking around and saying, what, what help do I need, right? Do I need to start reaching out a month in uh, to reintegration to people I deployed with so we can talk about that stuff? right? Mm-hmm. Go out to eat with them, talk about the good old days, right? Uh, all the stuff that happened on deployment, things like that, and start processing some of those things. Um, but then also, you know, with our, with our family, that's also the time that we need to make sure that they're aware that, hey, that's kind of the period that's going to be difficult for me. And so if we're about a month in and things start to go sideways a little bit, that's, that's normal. That's what's going to happen, right? And I'll, I'll interject here when uh, probably couple months maybe probably two or three months after we got back from deployment we had to go back to drill um we i would when we get chance when we're not when we're not uh doing anything we actually go like go get lunch and we get a talk between uh me and my friends and stuff like that at drill and we get to talk like oh i'm it's not me that i'm not the only one having these issues and i might not i might not have it that bad but it's, it's weird that they'll say the same thing. It's like, oh, wow, I'm going through the same thing. Yeah, what I'm going through is normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not the only one. <laughs> yeah, it's so important that we're not the only one. Yeah. With all of that, yeah. Uh, and it's also important that we understand, you know, how does that process go, right? We know there's reintegration, but, you know, what what are the different parts of that? And, and how is that going to affect us kind of in each phase, you know, through all of that? So I know, Lisa, you know a lot about those different steps of it, right? <laughs> right. Different phases. I was just reflecting on when you were saying, um, you know, four to five weeks when they come home is when the, I call it the sunshine and lollipop phase goes away. And that's normally when we would do, I guess, our yellow ribbons. Right. And so one of the things that I would, I think probably the realest thing, realest thing I could say at those events is this is when the stuff starts to kind of hit the fan. You're like right in it. So if you're going through that, it's normal. You know, it's normal. It's not going to last forever. There are phases to this. Um, and there's like, I mean, they say there's like five phases and none of them, 
they're not linear, you know, it's like it's a grief process. It's not a linear process. Um, And, you know, when they, when a soldier service member first comes back there, one of the things that I find really interesting is the, the behavior changes that come with it. So um, habits that you've learned overseas, they don't transition quite so well (laughs) when you first get home. And so that's just going to take time. And for some families or service members that can take two days, two weeks, for some it can take two months to to five months. There's no, there's no timeline. There's just, you know, your, your timeline. Mm -hmm. Um, So when that becomes a problem is when it doesn't, you know, start to kind of fade away and it just starts to get in the way of relationships. It's going to for sure in the beginning, but everybody has a little bit more patience. So when it starts to really, for all of these, when it starts to get in the way of normal functioning, once you kind of transition into it, that's when it becomes, you know, more of a problem. Um, The second phase of reintegration is what we call uh, exploration. And I think you guys were kind of alluding to this when you were sharing what, what you went through. So you start to kind of explore your surroundings, your friendships, you know, where you used to hang out, the relationships that you, that were close before you left. And then, you know, for some folks, um, you understand that friendships have changed and people have, you know, they've also been through their own stuff and they've processed through things or maybe they've moved and, you know, you, un- you start to come to grips with all of that. It becomes a problem when you have expectations of what others should be doing and you're not able to see to see that, you know, that's when it becomes um, your you have expectations that the relationship that you had prior to deployment is going to be the exact same as it was. And you get really worked up about it. So that's another phase that um, service members go through. Um, The next phase is what we call celebration. Uh, which means you want to celebrate the fact that you've just accomplished this, you know, like you went through all of this, you've, you did something that is incredible, is huge, is a service to our country, like you are a hero, you know, you want to celebrate, um, but when do you, you got to know when to stop, <laughs> and so for a lot of folks, not knowing when to stop, mm-hmm. it becomes the issue, um, abusing drugs, abusing alcohol, risky behaviors, you know, that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. um, and I'm not saying that deployment brings those things on by any means because a lot of the times what the research shows is that this was kind of an – that was there before you went mm-hmm. on deployment. So it's not deployment that causes those things. I don't want people to think that. Uh, well, agree? And I know for myself, at least when I came back from deployment, I sort of felt like I deserved yeah. a lot of that. And so, you know, having that extra beer in the evening or, you know, hey, I was deployed for a year. I didn't drink for a year. Right. You know? <laughs> got to make up for I that. I got to make up for <laughs> it. Right, yeah. Yeah, uh, I deserve know? this. You I deserve know? this, I, totally. I worked for it. I earned it. Yeah. 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 So how did that go for you? Yeah. So obviously not well. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and uh, you know, I've been pretty open with uh, what I went through. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe that uh, I believe that I had uh, PTSD after my first deployment uh, and then uh, managed to stay in denial in between the deployments and then went into my second deployment already needing help. I uh, came out of that deployment, and uh, things really started to fall apart at that point. And so all the negative stuff, um, I was smoking a huge amount of cigarettes. Uh, and, in fact, I think at one point one of my soldiers even joked that if they needed me, they would go out to the smoking area because they knew I would be there. <laughs> <laughs> that was the one place. Uh, a lot of alcohol. Right? And then other you know, risky behaviors, even simple things like driving too fast on the freeway, driving aggressively, mm-hmm. a lot of anger. Uh, and I would drive very, very aggressively on the road, things like that. Uh, and that all that all came out because I was like, hey, I deserve this. You know, everybody owes me. Right. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Everybody owes me. That's right. Huh. Yeah. Wow. So that was, that was a really big one. Um, yeah. And so uh, 
but I, I, I enjoy the celebration phase, right? Uh, in my mind, I'm, I'm wondering what happens next because what I remember was just kind of like, okay, now I'm just back to day-to-day -day life yeah. and I don't know, now I have all these commitments that I didn't have before and all this pressure. And right, and I think that's so common, you yeah. know, so common. Um, and, you know, you can share as much or as little as you like, but I'm really curious, you know, like <laughs> how you move through that. We can talk about that later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the next, thank you for sharing sure. that, by the way, because that really gives some good context to our conversation. You know, you know a lot of what they're going through. Absolutely. You know, this is, and so do you guys, mm -hmm. not to mm -hmm. discount your experience. Um, but I do find it really interesting that through, and I'm just guessing, Eric, you can tell yeah. me if I'm wrong, is through all of that, you came out on the other side. You know, you got through your denial somehow. I'm curious about that. But <laughs> also, um, you know, you came out on the other side and saw it as a growth opportunity. Yeah. You know? So Absolutely. That's key. Yeah. Well, I um, actually, the next myth talks about that very thing, okay. but I'm interested to hear the last part of oh. the reintegration. Okay. Though. I don't so want to skip over oh all yeah. those okay. steps. So we'll cover that real quick. So the, the, the fourth step is projects. Did you guys take on any projects mm. when you came back? Like, cause you wanted that sense of accomplishment again. Yeah. When I got back, I just jumped right back into school. Cause I was like, I want to get this done. Yeah. I had to put it on hold for nine months and I would just, I was over it. I was like, can I please just finish this? Right. Yeah. <laughs> so that was uh, probably my main project when I got home. Uh, it was probably pretty overwhelming. I thought, do I go back to school? Just a lot of avenues to go to. And first thing I did was just go work out. I just like, I need to be physically taxed yeah. and go do something. And that's something I enjoy doing. Yeah. So that was the one of the first things I was like, I got time. I got time to chill out. So this is one of the one of the things we're going to do. So you picked a healthy coping skill. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Good job. Um, yeah. So projects kind of like help with the fighting the boredom. But what we find is that they take on too many projects. Like they're in the the shed working on too many mm -hmm. woodworking projects or they take on too many oh now I want to get my my PhD or you know it's it it's either out of boredom or they are wanting that sense of accomplishment so you just kind of kind of keep track of that and then the last phase is what we like what they call reality check like you're you're reintegrated you're back into society you're kind of at that level of um, you know where you were when you left however like I've said many times, and I know Eric can speak to this, there's it's not linear and there's no timeline. No. Just know that these are phases and that everybody goes through them on their own, in their own special way and on their own timeline. So time takes time, takes time, takes more time. So don't be in a rush to, um, to move through these, but be very aware of your thoughts, feelings, and actions around what you're doing. So... Yeah. Those, are, those are the five. I think that self-awareness is so important. And uh, because of the job that we have in the military, I think that a lot of times we suppress how we feel to get the mission done. And, and that's what we need to do. I mean, you know, you don't want to be on the battlefield trying to, you know, practicing mindfulness, right? Uh, <laughs> we need to, yeah, we need to be battle focused, right, for a reason. But, mm -hmm. uh, but when we come back, we don't, we don't disengage that part. Right. And so we stay that mission mm -hmm. focused. And that's the next myth here is it takes the myth is that it takes months or even years for service members to start showing symptoms of, of mental illness. Right. Especially PTSD. Right? We're not going to see it right away uh, over the next few years. You just need to be aware and, and it'll come up. You know, if it's there, it'll come up and you just have to be alert for that uh, over the months and years. Well, the truth is those symptoms happen right away. Not in every case, but often if, if we've been through something traumatic, uh, we may uh, see those symptoms when we come back home after homecoming uh, immediately, 
right? We may not understand what they are because they're so new. Yeah, but we're going to see those. And so what are we talking about? Uh, uh, depression, right? We just had that sense of uh, loss of interest in things, right? A lot of those classical signs of depression uh, that will have, you know, just, uh, you know, one to sit at home, uh, you know, uh, eat snacks and binge Netflix. Right? <laughs> Sometimes you need those days. Sometimes, that sounds yeah. like fun. <laughs> you do. You do. I love it. Yeah. Uh, uh, but continuing that on, you know, we just can't get out of that rut. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right? a problem. And that's, for depression, that's some of the ones that we typically see. Uh, but depression manifests different in men and women, right? So where uh, for a man, uh, one of the signs of a major depressive disorder might be anger. And, and we wouldn't associate that necessarily with depression, so we need to be aware of not trying to diagnose, you know, the other person, uh, but identifying all these symptoms and being able to see what they are early. So do they look anxious? You know, do they look depressed? Um, are they getting angry? Right? Uh, are little things setting them off? Uh, PTSD, the one everybody sees is, uh, talks about usually is hyper-awareness, right? Uh, over and over I hear I you know, can't sit with my door to, or my back to the door mm-hmm. of a yeah. restaurant, yes. right? I avoid <laughs> large crowds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are dead giveaways. Uh, think, But little things like that uh, and not being able to relax. So you said the depression can manifest itself in different ways? Many, many different ways. Okay. And it's different by gender, mm-hmm. right? And so uh, that's why it's important not to start labeling anything in the very beginning and just discuss the symptoms, right? Uh, and uh, with a family member, with your spouse, uh, talk about how you feel. Actually, try to uh, try to put words to it. Often, that's the biggest challenge: is putting words to how we feel. Mm-hmm. Right. So, may you have to use a lot of metaphors. Right. I feel like somebody threw a wet blanket over me. Mm-hmm. Right? Things like that are easier. Or uh, one I heard a while back was: uh, I feel like I'm on a roller coaster and I can't get off. Right. So those kind of things. When you start hearing those kind of things, then that's that cues us in and say, "Wow, that sounds like it'd be a very you know anxious, upsetting place." Is that how you're feeling? You know, is that really what's going on with you? You know, instead of just labeling them and say, "Oh, you probably have PTSD," mm-hmm. you know, we don't want to hear that. Yeah, yeah. and I want to jump in and say that, you know, for for where I sit and what I do, I hear from a lot of spouses. They are the you know we were just talking about this before we jumped yeah. into this. Is a lot of the times the spouses will call and say. I need, he needs to talk to somebody. How can I get him to talk to somebody? Can you call him <laughs> and talk to him? And what they're telling me is a lot of the time is that he has so much anger and I don't know what to do with it. And it's scary. And to me, that's like, yes, we need to figure out a way to get him to talk to, to, talk to somebody. And we, you know, we have all kinds of ideas. Um, but that to me right there is classic. Like that is yes. usually number one, the thing that comes up. He is so angry. And it's, it's, we don't, we've never seen them like this. We don't know what to do with it. It's scaring the kids, that kind of stuff. And that's normal. Like that's normal for what, what we do. We hear that a lot. So I don't want people listening and watching to think that they're, you're special for sure. But this is very common. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And and often the anger is, people misinterpret the anger when they see that from somebody and they don't understand, you know, I, I did everything perfect, right. For the homecoming. Um, I made their favorite meal. I. You know, I have no demands of them at all, right? right? The kids are so good. I know, the kids are so good, <laughs> yeah. Um, and they're still angry all the time, or they're still mad. Uh, and anger is fascinating. So I specialize, besides marriage, in anger, right? Uh, and I worked for about four or five years uh, at a uh, county jail part-time working, doing anger management, uh, and they are angry there. That is a great yeah. place to work. Uh, and what I found with anger was for a lot of uh, individuals, especially men, 
anger is the face of all other negative emotions. So if a man is scared, he gets angry, mm-hmm. right? Uh, if he's betrayed, he gets angry, mm-hmm. right? Um, if he's, uh, you know, uneasy, if he feels uh, taken advantage of, whatever it is negative-wise, we're just going to go right to anger. Uh, yeah. Never thought about that. Yeah. Yep. Shame. They feel shame. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Anger. Right to anger. Uh, because that's the only emotion a lot of times we're allowed to have, you know, as men. Uh, if you go to, uh, so Sergeant Andrews, if you and I walked into Walmart and, and let's say you see me getting really angry and I get that one cart with sort of that wheel that wobbles. <laughs> oh my Lord. Yeah. <laughs> I know like, your pain. <laughs> I'm like, ah, right. And it keeps veering off. I keep hitting stuff. And finally I get mad and I take the cart and I slam it into one of the end caps and I, you know, maybe I swear and I just walk away. Uh, and you're seeing that and, and you're probably thinking, wow, what a, you know, that guy's really upset, real, you know, real idiot or something else we can't say on a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, but later that day, honestly, you're not going to remember that. It's, you know, it's just another guy getting angry. Yeah. Uh, but if you walked up into Walmart and uh, right by where they have all the books, they always have the book section in the middle of the registers, uh, and you looked over and you saw me and I'm just over there sobbing, tears streaming down my face, sobbing, right? Uh, are you going to remember that? I'll remember that a lot more. Yeah, yeah, because men are not supposed to cry in public. Right. Right. And, if, and I would even say that if, if I continued to do that, that I would bet security would come over just to make sure everything's okay. Right. Because, uh, again, if you see a man crying in public, you don't know what's going on. It could be anything. Right. He's at his breaking point and we don't know what men could do there. Uh, and so it's not safe for us to show anything else other than anger. They usually just go and like, you know, when no one's around, do that. And that's fine. Right. Right. And then. Uh, if our if our spouse or our family are very insightful, they'll say, hey, you need to process your emotions. Let it out. Let it out. Uh, and we just don't feel safe to do that around anybody else. And we may do it on our own. But again, that's one of the reasons I think it's so important to reconnect with the people we went through these experiences. Uh, because in most deployments, we have at least one low spot. And, and typically, one of our friends or our battle buddy is there for us during that time. And that's the person we'll feel safe opening up to about what's happening. Right. So it's not just friends and family looking for all these symptoms, but, you know, that that we call it uh, footlocker counseling. Right. Where you sit on the footlocker and talk. (laughs) Uh, But uh, just those those uh, times when you reconnect with people and if you start hearing some of these symptoms, you know, don't be afraid to ask. You know, Uh, the other person, I guarantee you, will feel like you really care. You know, that's a sign of caring is asking. So we see these symptoms, uh, put words to them. Uh, and, and then when you put words to them, uh, get help, right? It's better to get help and not need it, right? Than need it and not get help. Mm -hmm. And so if you're starting to have these feelings, uh, make an appointment with somebody you trust, right? Whether it's a mental health professional, primary care provider, a pastor, chaplain, somebody that is, has a level of professional training, right? And, and just talk about it. Maybe it's nothing. Maybe it's just normal emotions from the reintegration process. That could be. That's, you know, there are normal emotions we go through, and that's okay. Uh, but it's better to be safe than sorry, right? We don't want to go undiagnosed for years or months or years. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, I really appreciate both of you coming today. I don't want to cut it short, but I know that you guys will probably be back here again. Lisa, I mean, you've been here several times. So <laughs> we'll make sure that we uh, put all the videos prior in the description below, as well as your contact information. If anybody has questions about behavioral health or counseling, they can reach out. 
um, in the description below. So we really appreciate it. Thank you both for being here today. And like I said, again, hopefully we'll see you in the near future. Thank, Thank you. Y'all. Thank you. Um, make sure that you like and subscribe. Um, if you haven't subscribed to the channel, make sure you hit that button, please. We're trying to get to 500 subscribers. But, um, but yeah, just uh, we'll leave everything in the comments below. And if you have comments, also make sure that you leave us comments so that we can give you the information that you guys are looking for. And we will catch you guys in the next episode.